The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 680 for June 23rd, 2019. Facebook announces Libra, PC Mag's 2019 nationwide network test results, and discussing what to expect in the 2019 iPhone. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first in the news this week, Facebook on Tuesday announced Libra, its new digital currency aiming to combine the best features of other cryptocurrencies in order to be more consumer-friendly. The currency will be administered by the Libra Association Association, which is a new not-for-profit business based in Geneva. Founding members include Facebook, MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, Stripe, eBay, Lyft, Spotify, Uber, Vodafone, and Coinbase. Uh, Facebook's new Calibra subsidiary will create a Libra wallet application. The Calibra wallet will not require a Facebook account, and Calibra will not share transactional data with Facebook. Third parties will also be able to create their own Libra wallet apps. Users will be able to exchange local currency for Libra and vice versa through these wallet apps and at physical locations. The local currency will be transferred to the Libra Association to provide 100% backing for Libra currency. Interest on those deposits will pay for operating expenses, investments in the ecosystem, engineering research, and grants to nonprofits. Uh, and other organizations. Excess interest will be distributed to the founding members. Libra transactions won't carry the high fees that credit cards do, although a small, less than one cent transaction fee will deter spam and denial attacks. The symbol for Libra is three wavy lines. The value of Libra is tied to a basket of deposits in historical stable international currencies and can be rebalanced to keep Libra stable. The Libra starting value will be close to $1, euro, or pound. Libra is much faster and more efficient than Bitcoin, able to handle 1,000 transactions per second and designed to scale much higher. When a transaction is submitted, each of the Libra nodes run independently by Libra Association members runs a blockchain calculation. Two-thirds of the nodes must come to consensus that the transaction is legitimate and that will then be executed and written to the blockchain. Facebook's Calibra will implement know your your customer rules in the sign-up process to prevent fraud, requiring a government-issued photo ID as an example. The Libra Association will incentivize other wallet providers to do the same. Libra is launching its limited test network starting this week, and Libra has uh, launching to consumers in the first half of 2020. Facebook will launch Calibra as a standalone wallet application, but also feature uh, within Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp on both Android and iOS. American Airlines last year brought satellite-based Wi-Fi to a subset of its fleet, though mostly international flights, but the company has now done the same to all airliners that it uses for domestic flights. Satellite-based Wi-Fi has two main advantages over systems that rely on radio connections. First, greater range, and secondly, faster speeds. While American Airlines says the rollout is complete, its oldest MD-83s were not upgraded. Uh, Apple Music subscribers flying domestically can now benefit on the same deal already offered to international flights, which is no Wi-Fi fee for streaming music. That means Apple Music subscribers can access their library, discover new music, and listen to Beats music in the air without paying more for uh, any American airline domestic flight and the features uh, of that Wi-Fi system. The deal extends to any Apple Music client you use on the plane, including an iPhone, iPad, Mac, PC, or Android device. PC Mag has completed its annual nationwide test of mobile networks and found that for the first time in six years, AT&T network, uh, AT&T's network, that is, is faster on average than Verizon's. AT&T won or tied in 15 out of the 30 cities and won or tied in every rural region. 
All four network operators improved year-over-year in both speed and reliability, but AT&T improved the most. PC Mags testing utilized a custom rig of Samsung Galaxy S10 phones, and they drove across 30 major U.S. cities and six rural areas in 25 different states. In each city, analysts stopped by more than a dozen locations, testing downloads, uploads, latency, reliability, and consistency every two minutes. I feel like here in Minnesota that Verizon still has an edge up on AT&T, especially more in rural areas. But I can sure imagine how that is, uh, you know, how it varies in different areas, especially in different parts of the country. And it's interesting because obviously the, uh, the the study itself goes through the major cities and which of, of which both of us live uh, in, in one of those. And uh, looking in the D.C. area, they they tested in areas specifically in uh, downtown uh, Washington, D.C., and I think they may have gotten one or two just in, in inside the uh, the suburbs of Virginia and Maryland, but didn't ultimately really kind of dig deep, if you will, into suburban areas. And so I think that's where, um, you know, you're going to see most of uh, kind of the inconsistencies is when you get into those areas where you don't have the density. Because when you're within a, a major network in a core area, most of the operators are working really well. And if you really care about this stuff, and go and read the report that they did on your city and you'll get a good sense of, of how they uh, how they did it and where they went and you can understand kind of from uh, you know the testing and the speed standpoint just how uh, consistent everything really is at least how how I felt about it and it was a very positive uh, obviously report as we've come along here we're now 10 years into LTE uh, some of the carriers uh, were testing at speeds that were above 250 megabits per second uh, as their fastest uh, rates. Um, a lot of the average speeds in, in the cities uh, were close to or over 100 megabits per second, uh, which it seems crazy because it's not something that I typically see myself. But again, this is where it all comes down to the, the provider that you have, the city that you're in, the location that you're in within that city, and et cetera. So uh, a lot of variables go into that. Right. And of course, those those uh, speeds you're just mentioning are crazy. I've never seen anything at high, but but occasionally I'll do a speed test on Verizon, which I don't do that many of them uh, these days. But every once in a while, I'm in a strange area and oh, there's 80 and oh, there's 120. It's like, oh, wow. OK, this is definitely, you know, this is definitely moving. So uh, if the other carriers are doing that sort of thing and, and keeping up with uh, Verizon and of course, I know T-Mobile and, you know, AT&T have their LTE networks and they vary in speed depending on where you're at. But that is definitely, um, you know, very nice speeds for mobile access, really. And one of the things I thought was interesting was the T-Mobile the speeds were definitely not uh, as, as improved as AT&T's. So they had pretty decent speeds last year, faster speeds this year, but not improved uh, as much uh, from a, a percentage perspective as what AT&T had. So um, definitely they're, uh, they're kind of getting to the top end of, of what they're going to do with LTE. And uh, ultimately, it's going to provide for us at least another five, maybe even 10 years of, uh, of coverage as 5G starts to roll out. I mean, you think about the fact that every once in a while you still, although it's, it's you know, the, the instances are few and far between, but where you still see 3G or even 4G pop up uh, and it's not an LTE network. And so it, it, it does happen. It's just a, it's not as often as it used to. So um, it, it is, a, again, a very interesting report, you know, hundreds of thousands of tests across all of these different areas. And uh, ultimately, uh, the winner, AT&T, for the first time in a few years. 
Uh, an Israeli company that supplies law enforcement agencies worldwide announced that the newest version of its tool to access locked phones uh, can access almost any smartphone, including Apple devices running iOS 7 to 12 and most Android phones. The company, Celebrite, promises that its new UFED premium device offers nearly complete access to Apple devices and flagship Samsung devices, as well as support for accessing the file system on popular device models from Motorola, Huawei, LG, and Xiaomi. Xiaomi. Uh, The company boasts that its device lets law enforcement bypass or determine locks and perform a full file system extraction on any iOS device or in a physical extraction or full file system or file-based encryption extraction on many high-end Android devices. You can also gain access to third-party app data, chat conversations, downloaded emails and email attachments, as well as deleted content and more. Apple has added features in iOS in recent years to thwart this kind of access and is rolling out iOS 13 this summer and fall, though presumably uh, there will be uh, work that will be done, and uh, I would imagine that they would find themselves with access to iOS 13 as well. Well, we just don't know. It depends what kind of loopholes they're using uh, or bugs in the in the software or in the security to uh, bypass that. And that's uh, something, of course, it seems like Apple takes very seriously. I don't know if they're working on closing these particular loopholes or not. Uh, you know, we, we just have to kind of wait and see uh, what happens. I know that it's kind of been a cat and mouse game here with this company and the, the phones themselves, especially with Apple. It seems like Android, they, they don't have quite as much um, focus on security and locking down this kind of access, but we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah, and ultimately it's it's a matter of uh, them trying to figure out how they can get in. It's just not something that you can just do. Uh, so to your point, they're going through some sort of loophole or a security breach, uh, you know, and, and and figuring out from there. But again, it's not it's not something that just is uh, something you and I could could just figure out. Right, and they do claim that they, um, you know, that they're they're getting they can get by the the uh, failed attempt counters. So in your iOS device and even Android for that matter, you can there's a uh, a setting you know failed number of attempts before the device wipes itself, and then it will no longer uh, you know it just basically wipes and clears everything off. Uh, like on iOS, it's like ten times you can enter your passcode and you can have that setting turn on your device wipes. They claim that 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 their method for getting into the device does not use that counter so the device will never wipe which of course would be if there's stuff in your device you don't want anybody to access to i would you know of course highly recommend turning that setting on and uh just in case that somebody's trying to brute force the password to get in yeah and this is a uh if, if they're getting around that this is a method that is certainly going through a loophole because otherwise that would that would kick in um, and, and so it is a, a very interesting one, but of course they will never tell, uh, what they're doing. And, uh, it's, it's a device that is, uh, again, could, could be very interesting if you gotten into uh, the wrong hands and you could get access to somebody's device and all that info. Right. Of course. And these devices are very expensive and I think they're only sold with, uh, contracts and uh, non-disclosure agreements and it, not just anybody's going to get their hands on one to, uh, uh, analyze what it's using. I think that they, they keep the keep the locks down on these things more than they do for uh, actually the, the the locks on the devices so it's uh, uh, I, I, it's going to be pretty uh, interesting to see what happens indeed well uh, let's stick with Apple news here and uh, move on to 
some uh, news this week. Analyst Ming-Chi Ku reporting uh, that the 2020 iPhone lineup uh, will have uh, the first version of the 5G iPhone. Uh, this, of course, uh, is not new news, uh, but yet reported by uh, analyst uh, Ku, who basically says that uh, this fall we'll still see another LTE model and it won't be until next year that we get that first 5G device. Uh, he also says that all three models that will come out this year will feature uh, OLED displays. Uh, the report says that new phones will come in a 6.7-inch, 5.4-inch, and 6.1-inch screen size. Uh, the 6.1-inch OLED OLED model is apparently the successor to the iPhone 10R uh, or whatever this year's uh, 2019 LCD 6.1 inch phone iPhone is called uh, and it will support LTE only uh, the new 6.7 inch and 5.4 inch phones would support 5G mobile data come next year. Uh, the 5G timeline matches the consensus expectations of the rumor mill and the screen sizes line up with the specifications listed in a DigiTimes report that was talked about earlier this year. The current iPhone 10s is 5.8 inches diagonally, so a move to 5.4 would represent a significantly smaller phone in the hand. For iPhone XS Max fans, the rumored 6.7-inch screen implies even a larger phone, an increase from the 6.5-inch in the XS Max today. The 5G compatibility in the 2020 iPhone is being reported to support both the sub-6 gigahertz and millimeter wave technologies. Koo says that Apple's in-house 5G baseband chips will not be ready for many years. In fact, maybe not as long as uh, till 2022, meaning that for the next few iPhone generations, they will heavily depend on Qualcomm baseband chips to connect to the 5G networks. Regarding the 2019 version of the iPhone, the rumored devices will largely resemble the current 10S and 10R lineup in physical appearance. The 2019 flagship iPhones are believed to have a triple camera system, a faster A13 chip, indoor location improvements, AirPods power sharing, and uh, an internal large, larger internal battery. The 10R successor will be upgraded from a single to a dual camera module. And despite Intel's exit from the modem business, Q says that the 2019 models will use the Intel baseband. The component supply for this year's devices was apparently set at the, uh, prior to the time when Qualcomm's settlement was announced. Right. And of course, uh, you know, seeing the same form factors being repeated again for a third year would not be surprising because, of course, that's kind of now the precedent that Apple has set with, you know, let's say the 6S, the or the 6, the 6S, the 7, and even the 8. But, of course, they launched the 10 with the 8. So we got kind of that new style coming in. But I wouldn't be surprised, though. So we've gone from the 10 with the 10S and, uh, of course, the, the, the third 10 model, which would make perfect sense that they would continue here in uh, 19. Yeah, I would I would imagine it's going to be called the 11, but uh, certainly it could be something completely different because um, I guess it would be the 12 if we're talking about the number of iPhones that they've made. But either way, uh, they will name it whatever they want. It's just a branding and, and marketing thing and uh, nothing really new when, with respect to the 5G stuff. Uh, the screen size change is, is kind of interesting. And uh, if we're talking about a 10S successor, uh, not this year, but next year, and we have long talked about how, especially for Joey, as an example, uh, someone who is not interested in a larger form factor, uh, would a, a phone size that comes down uh, to from that 5.7 inch to the 5.4 inch panel, would that make a difference for you, uh, at least a big enough difference for you to decide to upgrade? It, it maybe maybe not i didn't mind my iphone 6 but then when the 6s and 7 came out that they were just too heavy and i i just didn't like them um I, I didn't like the 7 and i tried the 7 briefly not that long ago and still didn't like it because it was too heavy so uh i would imagine at that screen size it would probably be up there in the weight and i just eh, i don't know i I'm, i i, I kind of doubt it 
Interesting. I, I kind of feel like the uh, the devices that are going to be coming out in the future, you're going to struggle with. And, um, you know, obviously we've heard nothing with respect to a new SE model uh, and whether or not they decide to come back with something like that is still very much up in the air. Right. I've heard about this great phone from Palm uh, that's out, this little <laughs> teeny weeny thing. Uh, I, I've heard about that. I understand it. I get it. I just don't. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, uh, it's not you. <laughs> I know, I know. Although I, I, I say that, uh, and then I almost think, well, but could it be? If it weren't for if it how it would gunk up iMessage, you would go if if you could figure out a small phone like that from Apple that wouldn't wouldn't break all the the iOS stuff. Then yeah, you definitely might consider that because really you're you're pretty much a an iPad most of the time kind of guy. So pretty much, yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, Boost Mobile now offering the CoolPad Legacy, a $100 Android phone with a premium metal design, 6.36-inch screen, and several features not usually found on phones uh, in a lower price range. Metro by T-Mobile launched the Legacy a month ago for $130. Uh, it's now up to $180. Uh, the phone has a fingerprint reader, full HD display, 2 by one aspect ratio, 4,000 mAh battery, quick charge 3 fast charging, USB-C connector, and Android 9 Pie. It also offers dual rear cameras, an FM radio, and dual band Wi-Fi. It's powered by a Snapdragon 450 processor with 3 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage, and a memory card slot. Boost uh, already offers the lower-end CoolPad Illumina, uh, which has since been renamed the Legacy Go. Well, the miniature Palm Android phone, the one we just mentioned, originally a Verizon exclusive, is now available unlocked, uh, or will be available unlocked. $350 is the price, and it will go on sale in August. Uh, with LTE bands 2, 4, 5, 12, 13, and 66, it's compatible with AT&T, T-Mobile, Metro, and Verizon. So there you go, Joey, $350 if you're interested. Verizon launching its second phone with integrated 5G this week, the LG V50 ThinQ 5G. Uh, the phone, as with the Samsung Galaxy S10 5G, isn't restricting sales to areas where 5G service is available, as Sprint has done. Verizon is selling the phone for $1,000 or $41.66 a month for 24 months. And for a limited time, they're waiving the $10 per month 5G access fee. Verizon's 5G network uses millimeter wave frequencies and is available in parts of Chicago and Minneapolis, with another 28 cities coming online by the end of the year. Sprint and Verizon both recently started offering standalone GPS tracker devices that can report the exact position using cell networks. AT&T already offers such a device. The devices use the new LTE Cat M1 technology designed specifically for small, low-power devices that only need to transmit small amounts of data. Unlike Bluetooth-based tracking tiles, they do not need to be near the phone viewing uh, the location. Although the tracker device does need to be within the coverage area and the of the cellular network it's associated with, all of the tracker devices are roughly the size of a matchbook, are water-resistant, include Wi-Fi for enhanced location accuracy and efficiency, and have multi-day battery life. They are designed for tracking kids, pets, vehicles, and luggage, for example. Sprint's tracker is made by CoolPad and features a light sensor and speaker. The battery lasts 3 to 10 days, and it's IP67 rated for dust and water. Sprint is charging $60 for the tracker and $5 a month for the device. The Verizon Smart Locator has a battery life of up to five days and an IP67 rating. Verizon charges $100 for a tracker with one year of free service, after which the service is $3 per month. AT&T offers the Samsung SmartThings tracker, 
uh, which has a battery life of up to a week and an IP68 rating. Uh, AT&T charges $100 for the tracker, which is one year of service included as well. And after the first year, AT&T uh, network is offered, uh, services offered through the AT&T network uh, and it runs $5 a month or $50 per year. These are really cool devices, and I think uh, these are probably going to actually be very popular. Do you remember when the iPhone first got the Find My iPhone feature and people started throwing iPhones and everything they could? Yes. And they were seeing the tracking across the country and doing all kinds of cool things that, you know, normal people don't really have access to typically. I mean, this this kind of tracking was either law enforcement, military, you know, uh, government agencies could do this kind of thing. Uh, but now for a hundred bucks and a couple bucks a month, you can do anything. Uh, you know, anybody uh, with the cell service can do kind of this kind of thing. And of course, I'm sure government agencies will be buying these things by the hundreds because look at how cheap this is. So it's a uh, it's kind of a neat uh, kind of a neat toy thing. It, it is neat, and I'm also trying to think about the the places that I would actually need to do this or have one of these things. It is great in a vehicle. Um, I've got both uh, my vehicles have GPS devices in them that allow me to see exactly where the vehicle is at any given time. Uh, obviously, all of the iOS devices that we have are connected through Find My iPhone. And so at any given time, presumably that they've got coverage, uh, you can re you can find out where they are. But I just, you know, maybe maybe luggage, I guess, maybe because something like right, that. Right. It's something I can't I can't even see what I would use it for. But it sounds neat. It does sound neat. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, this, you know, I, idea of uh, when you're. Uh, shipping something somewhere and, you know, maybe wanting to track that if you know the person that it's going to, uh, you know, maybe you've got a cross country move and the movers have your stuff uh, and you want to know where your stuff is uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But ultimately it just doesn't, uh, you know, I don't know. There, there's probably all sorts of different things I'm not even thinking of. Uh, but the, the, the things that I have uh, that move around a lot are, are pretty few and far between. So um, don't have a, a whole list of things that I'd be buying these for. But to your point, it's very cheap, 100 bucks, and it gets a year of service. And then after that, it's only a couple of bucks after that. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, and like you said, you know, if you had it in your car, of course, you'd have to find a method to keep it recharged, uh, which, you know, you know, probably even just plugging into the USB port and hiding it somewhere, it would, you know, kind of keep it charged up. So then you'd have a few days of uh, battery life if you, uh, you know, if, if the battery was disconnected in the car or something like that. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, but at the same time, this is a, you know, unless you have it plugged into uh, an always on port, which most car, most ports are not today. Uh, you've got to have the car running every couple of days or the battery's going to die. And, uh, you know, I guess it, maybe if it's in a car that you're commuting with. But even so, what I mean, this is a it's still the wrong device for that. I mean, if you're really trying to track where a car is, you probably want uh, an OBD uh, port uh, device. Uh, speaking of, T-Mobile upgraded uh, their software for their OBD OBD port reader um and which was kind of an interesting thing didn't really change much just a new gui and uh uh but you know it's obviously nice to see that but so anyway so if you've got a, one of those t-mobile uh sync up drives uh, go grab the new software update but either way something like that is more um probably useful to most people than something that's just you know a plug it in and, and stick it in your glove box or something like that because really all that's telling you is where your car is and yeah maybe that's interesting but at the same time there's a lot cheaper and 
probably better ways to do that. But anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, in software news, just one story. Google uh, will offer its own RCS service for Android users on networks uh, that have not yet launched RCS. RCS is an open industry standard for enhanced messaging designed to replace SMS and MMS. It offers many of the features that Apple's iMessage does, such as red receipts, high-quality attachments, and typing indicators. Most new Android phones support RCS via Google's Messages app and its chat feature, but it requires support on the network side. RCS was designed so that network operators could launch RCS support on their own networks, but most operators have been slow to adopt it. Sprint has launched it, T-Mobile has also launched it, but it yet doesn't support all Android devices. Verizon has launched it for the Pixel phones and promised greater support in 2019, and AT&T does not yet support the universal profile that makes RCS its standard and interoperable between networks. RCS servers can be located anywhere on the internet, though as Google is launching its own, uh, Google is rolling out the service on a country-by-country basis, starting with the UK and France this month. When available, Android users without an active RCS, active RCS service will see a new prompt when opening the Messages application, asking if they want to opt into Google's RCS service. Google has pledged to delete a message a content from its service as soon as message delivery is confirmed. So what, the question I have is, so you've got this on Android devices, which great. Uh, certainly it's even better uh, when all of the carriers are supporting this. And so between Android devices, you can get it. But one of the benefits that I was really hoping to see with this new universal uh, service, this universal language, is we would be able to have interoperability between operating systems. Uh, but that, of course, is going to require Apple to adopt this as well. And that is a big question mark as to whether or not they're going to, because, of course, they already have the iMessage protocol. Right. I don't really see that happening uh, anytime soon uh, because I don't think they want to compete with iMessage at all. I think that's kind of one of their uh, I mean, for me, it, it is one of the ma- major features of the operating system. It is interesting, isn't it, when you start texting with, uh, especially in groups, if you're in a group of uh, people and, and one of the people or many of the people happen to be Android users, and so you, you have to get dumped off of, if you will, uh, iMessage in order to uh, take advantage of it. Uh, it is interesting, too, the larger the group, of course, when you send a message uh, to a group, it goes out with individual text messages, so you get into um, you know, you get into some of these group conversations and I, I've seen my messages, you know, go up by hundreds or thousands a month, uh, in the number of text messages that I'm sending, uh, because I'm responding to a group. And if there's seven people in it, every time I write back and I say something, even if it's just, you know, a couple of characters, it's something that, uh, it, it sends out, just blasts out, you know, seven different messages and, and seven, uh, se- you know, counts up the tracker. Now, it hasn't mattered how many messages you send, but uh, it is interesting how that works and the fact that you can do it with iMessage and send it to, you know, dozens of people and it's uh, it doesn't count for, you know, tracking of messages. It's just data, it, in my opinion, is the way to go. So um, it's a uh, it's an interesting thing uh, that they're, they're bringing it here. Um, and uh, many, obviously, carriers, as we mentioned, are starting to adopt it. It's not everywhere, though, uh, and it likely won't be for a while. Well, no questions or comments this week, but if you have anything for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 650-999-0524, or send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.